What's up, everyone? This is the Nuts and Bolts Podcast, and I'm your host, One Jame, here with our lovely co-host, Airball, which isn't here today, and Michael Critz. Say what's up. Yo, what's up? Oh, yeah, I thought you were going to say what it do this time. You said say what's up, so oh. I said say what's up. But it's okay. What it do. He didn't say what it do this time, but he'll do it next time, probably. Mm-hmm. All right, and we're here to give you the nuts and bolts of the standard and pioneer formats each and every week for your listening pleasure, and maybe you'll learn a thing or two along the way. Maybe we'll learn a thing or two as well. But first, let me talk to you about the sponsor of this podcast, the first sponsored podcast episode, uh, slow clap for us, uh, coolstuffinc.com. Uh, using code James5, you can save 5% off of anything in the store. Sealed product, singles, anything you could ever need in Magic the Gathering. They have it all. Happy saving. Coolstuffinc.com. First up, you know what it is. It's the upkeep. We're going to talk about jargon again. Let's talk about the word agency this time. And if you don't know what agency is in Magic, I'm here to tell you about it. It's the players feeling that they have some control over what's happening in their game. And I'm sure, being a Rakdos player, uh, Michael Kritz, that you mm-hmm. know about agency, um, do, you, do you feel like you have a greater agency in the mid-range games than you do, say, maybe that you have in, like, a ramp game? Oh, boy. Uh, great question. I feel like I have agency turns one through four, and then after that, you have zero agency because you can't control your opponent's top deck and normally their top decks are better than you. So I would say that is my feeling of agency in Rakdos is you got a strong, you know, one to four turns, and after that, it is you're at the mercy of your opponent's top decks, and usually, sometimes they get there, and it's sad. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I mean, usually when you have like a lot of options that you can choose from, a, a deck that I can that I can confidently say has really high player agency is a deck like Is It Phoenix, where you have a bunch of cantrips. Uh, you can scry, mm-hmm. you can surveil, you can use you know consider opt at like a lot of different points in the game, and uh, it's really up to you on literally every single micro decision in that game on whether it goes well for you or whether it goes really poorly for you. And mm-hmm. uh, an example of something with a deck with very low agency would be like maybe a ramp deck where you might be able to see your ramp pieces and you probably win the game when you cast your huge ramp payoff, whatever your ramp payoff is. And if you don't draw one, you probably can't win the game. But if you draw it, you probably will, but it's just up to your deck whether or not it likes you today or, or something. That That's like an example of a lower agency deck. And the players feeling that they have some control of what's happening in their game is the definition of agency. So it's more of a feeling, more than it's, it's an actual thing, but I, I think it's more it's it's an actual thing too. Some decks just have more agency than others. Mm-hmm. You like live and die by your deck, and that's kind of how you can think about agency. Is like you live and die by how you can like um, play your deck, and the decisions are heavily weighed. Like the, your choices are heavily weighed on how the game goes, but that means that you know you take your losses way harder. If you make, you know, small mistakes where, like, a combo player with less agency can maybe fumble a bit and make their own mistakes but end up winning the game because their deck draws exactly how they need to, so. Right, yeah. exactly. That, that's another thing. If you're playing, like, a Tier 2 or 3 or 4 deck that isn't necessarily one of the best decks in the format, you could make the smallest of mistakes and get max punished because maybe maybe you have an edge when you play perfectly, but uh, if your deck has a little, has, is showing that... It takes a little bit higher agency to play, and it's not maybe it's maybe not the best deck in the format. Maybe you'll lose the game with a little mistake. Uh, that's our upkeep today. Hope you like it. Let's move on to the main phase right away. 
let's talk about Pioneer first. We're going to talk about Pioneer and Standard, and this is, the episode's called Dominaria's Competitive Impact, and I think it does have a lot of competitive impact when it comes to Pioneer and Standard. Mm. With, and I'm going to talk about um, the regional championship qualifier that I personally played in. I made top eight in this tournament. I was not able to take the tournament down, unfortunately, losing to a good matchup in top eight. But let's go over the top eight decks, shall we? Are you ready? Yes. All right, hopefully you, uh, the audience, are ready too. Let's talk about it. There was two Rakdos midrange in the top eight. Two Is It Phoenix, one Mardu Greasefang, one Lotus Field, one Boros Heroic, one Is It Pyromancer, and six one six-color Enigmatic Fires. Actually, that is nine decks. The Is It Pyromancer didn't make it in. It was two Is It Phoenix instead of the Is It Pyromancer. Mm. So... By a six-color Enigmatic Fires, I mean, yes, they were playing all five colors of mana, and they were also playing Eldrazi Displacer for literal colorless mana that you have mm. to have colorless mana for. Um, this person actually made top four, and he's my friend. And actually, my entire car that carpooled to this regional championship qualifier all made top eight. Me playing Rakdos Midrange, um, one of my friends playing Lotus Field, and then my other friend playing Enigmatic Fires of Invention. It is the absolute craziest deck you've ever seen. It plays the new card, the new six mana enchantment that instant speed exiles a non-land permanent based on how much domain you have. That's one of the cards that we went over in episode one, if you heard that. Um, the Leyline Binding card completely changed the deck. Now you can sacrifice Leyline Binding to Enigmatic Incarnation and actually tutor up an Agent of Treachery. Hmm. And this person had the mind to play Dragonlord Atarka. <laughs> and he made top four in this tournament, so hats off to him. I have to give him a clap. He's my one of my friends. He's been playing this deck like almost his whole life, it, feel, it seems like, but he made top four. Uh, and I have a great matchup in top eight. I play Rakdos Midrange, and my opponent in top eight is playing Boros Heroic. Probably my, my best matchup in the top eight, and I end up getting destroyed. <laughs> I got That's destroyed. That's that agency for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I got destroyed. Um, the only cards I could draw, you, you know, you would think that it's good against Boros Heroic because I have a bunch of fatal pushes and Bone Crusher Giants and uh, just so much, so many removal spells, Dreadbore, and they just don't have enough protection spells to keep up with how much removal is going on. But I, the only spells I drew were. Fable of the Mirror Breakers and Graveyard Trespassers, and no matter how much cards I drew, I could not draw a removal spell. And it's weird, I could not draw a removal spell. I, I know if you're watching this from YouTube, you can see the face Michael Kritz is giving me right now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but he's kind of saying, like, bewilderment. But uh, I drew two Fatal Pushes the entire match, and one of them got Sajiri Sheltered. So that's it. My, I, I'm, I'm taking full control of Game 2, and my opponent top decks the Ancestral Anger card that gets trampled over my Bone Crusher Giant and kills me in game two off the top. But that's how that went. But I do want to talk about these decks. Rakdos Midrange, you would think that was it, it's going to be in the top eight of these RCQs probably every time. Two Rakdos Midrange there. Two Is It Phoenix, which you don't really hear talked about a lot in Pioneer as of late. At least I don't hear, talk, hear talked about in my circles. But uh, what do you think about Is It Is It Phoenix and its presence? Uh, two copies of that deck in the top eight, and there was four Is It Phoenix in the tournament. Um, yeah, had they? I, I mean, this is. Bef I was uh, playing some RCQs before um, 
I had to move, which is, you know, uh, the, I just got to my new place in Spokane and haven't been able to really jam Magic for like a month plus. But uh, had they added any new cards from the new set to Is It Phoenix yet? Or, or are they just still playing the stuff that they did before the set dropped? I can't think of a card right now off the top of my head from Dominaria that went into the Is It Phoenix deck. Um, I, I actually, no, I can't think of one. There's, there's of course, there's the uh, Thing in the Ice, there's the mm -hmm. Ledger Shredder, mm -hmm. Phoenix. Um, there, there's just a bunch of cards that are in that deck yeah. that I don't think are in Dominaria. But Even if it did, like, it doesn't do anything that impactful. It could just be, like, another cantrip, which is, like, who, like, even if something did slide in there. So anyway, I do feel like the Phoenix... Uh, so what's weird is we talked about agency earlier, and the weird thing about the Is It Phoenix deck list is that you have a lot of agency um, throughout the game, but you also have like this weird combo potential where if you like need to hit the oh shit button, you can do that by like trying to string together you know, a last-ditch effort, which the deck seems really good at. When I was testing with my testing team in Denver, um, we caught into many situations where we were helping each other, like, test, and so, like, trying to get each other good lines. And so every time it came up, it was like, well, you only have one turn to make something happen. And so, like, the Phoenix player will go for it and try and make it happen. And, like, half the time, it seemed like they would make it happen and just kill you on the spot. So... Um, I think that's kind of the hidden secret about Is It Phoenix is like, yeah, it has some weaknesses in the format, or sometimes it can stumble a bit, but if it can string together just the perfect line, which it's very capable of doing, it can just combo you out in a weird way, uh, or just, you know, one turn kill you when you thought you had everything in the bag. So that, that's my that's my um, perspective on Is It Phoenix. Yeah, I mean, I, I think in a field of Rakdos midrange, Graveyard Trespasser being such a good card against Is It Phoenix might push it out of... The push it out of the format, as, as so are, so I thought. Um, there was two Is It Phoenixes in there in the top eight, and I think a lot of, a lot of that has to do with the presence of, um, not Dig Through Time, but the other Delve spell, um, the one that draws three, uh, which is really good against Rakdos, uh, but Rakdos does do a pretty good job at getting rid of the graveyards. But um, I personally played against one of the Is It Phoenix players that made the top eight in round one. I ended up winning that match, but I didn't play against him in the top eight. He ended up making top four. Uh, let's talk about Mardu Greasefang. This has rose in popularity over the last month, or a little bit more than a month. Uh, Mardu Greasefang has started to play Liliana of the Veil, and I think mm -hmm. that makes it a lot better. Mm -hmm. uh, not, I mean, not a lot better. It, it's it's a it's an interesting card. You want to play it on turn three, which you also want to play Greasefang on turn three, but also mm -hmm. Greasefang needs to discard. Like it needs to have a discard outlet in hand. If it doesn't have Fable the Mirror Breaker or a way to make a way to make a blood token, it's really difficult to get those uh, huge vehicles out of your hand. And that is Liliana is just one more way to do that, with while also adding the ability to sacrifice your opponent's creatures. And if it's not dealt with, it will kill your opponent by sacrificing half their permanence. So uh, Mardu Greasefang here in the top eight. What do you think that Liliana the Veil does for this deck? Um, it probably just gives it a better one-for-one one kind of um, a one-for-one one angle in the sense of like if you having if you're having a slow hand and Greasefang is in your hand and you have Liliana, then you can kind of diminish your opponent's resources 
maybe to a, a, a way that it slows the game enough so that you can eventually get to your Grease Fang, and because your yard is loaded up with all your favorites, by the time you do cast your Grease Fang, it should probably end the game. So that's probably why uh, Liliana's in there, and I, and I think we were mentioning this before in episode one, that like this is where Liliana has like the perfect fit into any of the decks in Pioneer. Like, I think if you're trying to play Liliana in another deck, you have to in another deck that exists, you have to substantially change the deck to a degree that doesn't maybe resemble the original deck. Whereas, you know, Liliana into a Grease Fang deck, you don't really have to substantially change the deck altogether. So that's that's what I would say about Liliana's effect in, in a Grease Fang deck. Uh, let's talk about how the how Dominaria impacted Lotus Field, and that is absolutely zero. Uh, Lotus Field <laughs> ended up taking down this entire tournament, but there's one card that they were playing that did come out in Dominaria United. That is the two mana scry two draw card, but if you kick it for a green, you get to play an additional land. They yeah. cut two arboreal grazers and put those two card two of that copy of the card in its place. And it said they said that it won them a couple of games where there were one mana there were one mana source off. While they were comboing, they were able to cast the card, put an additional land on the battlefield, and then it used that land to become a Lotus Field and then untap both Lotus Fields with a lot of their cards that untap two lands. So it was a, a pseudo extra combo enabler for them. And they actually won the entire tournament. Uh, they played oh. against Is It Phoenix in top cut. They played against Heroic. They beat Heroic in the finals. For Lotus Field to beat Heroic, it is astounding to me. Because Heroic can kill on turn four. And Lotus Field has to kill on turn four, basically, to win the game. Mm -hmm. And actually, the person that was playing Lotus Field said that this new card... Got the name off the top of my head. Something ex joint exploration. That's what it's called. Yeah. Joint exploration mm -hmm. combined with a boreal grazer. If you draw both of those, lets you combo on turn three of the game. Mm. Yeah, you were you were you were high up on that card when we had episode one, uh, joint exploration, but we didn't know where it was going to slot in. Um, or at least, like we maybe all had the thought of like Lotus Field, but I think this is an interesting card to put into Lotus Field, um, just because like I would just. You said you mentioned that they they went down on some Boreal Grazers in their list and went up on some joint explorations. Um, uh, actually, actually, no, it wasn't in the place of a Boreal Grazer. It was in the place they instead of a Boreal Grazer, they played Fog. So they played two Boreal Grazer, two Fog. And uh, I, I ended up beating them in one of the games in Swiss by using Bone Crusher Giant in response to Fog because Bone Crusher Giant says that damage can't be prevented. Correct. And I ended yeah. up winning that game. But uh, they said Fog was pretty good for them. They played it in place of a couple of other cantrips. I don't know whether it was an impulse or something else, but they played it in, in place of another cantrip to just try to sense. draw a card instead of doing something else. And to have the added upside of being able to combo a turn earlier um, by putting an extra land in play. That makes more sense. Um, the thing about uh, Layla, or, uh, sorry, the thing about Lotus Field is if it's not prepared for, it could just take a weekend, even if it is slightly prepared for. Like if someone, you know, there's one deck in the, or two or three decks in a tournament that's prepared for Lotus, and it, you know, it only matches up once against them or dodges them completely. Like 
Lotus can just run away with the game. It's kind of like a a, 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 ch- a deck check for the decks yeah. in the field. Like, and um, you know, I don't prepare like, and I'm part of like, you know, I definitely think that way. It's like just don't get paired against Lotus forehead. Like, <laughs> you know, there's only one player in the field. Like, just don't pair against them. You know, um, and that's kind of like what my testing team kind of have just like gotten the the headspace of. And so, like, if you're a Lotus field gamer, like, you know, don't don't I guess necessarily be discouraged. Like, it is a deck. I still believe it's a deck that can run away with the weekend. So. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm not surprised. Like I, you know, I'm not surprised that it happened. Is it not very probable that it, it, it could happen that Lotus Field could win, uh, win a whole weekend? No, but is it possible? Absolutely. And I, I live in the, in the realm that like, they can just win a weekend straight up. Yes. They were just destroying everyone. Like some of the game just like weren't even close. Like they hard cast omniscience from hand with two oh, extra, with two extra mana left over to play around the Phoenix's spell pierce. Like it was so dirty. Yeah, <laughs> like they could just run hot too. Like that's a deck that like we're talking about agency. They could just run hot and just take the weekend away, which is exactly what in some ways what you're saying happened. It's just like they can just take the weekend away because they're running hot. Straight up. Um I don't think Dominary United added anything to the Boros Heroic deck. But heroic, the heroic deck does what the heroic deck does. Um, it puts some one-drop creatures on board, possibly some uh, the virtuoso card that has double strike, potentially uh, you know pyromancer, and starts racking up the spells. Add gigantha back to the hand, um, you know, cast some more spells and kill your opponent mm-hmm. from like thirty-seven out. And uh, that's just yeah. what the deck does. I don't think it got any cards from Dominaria United though. Yeah, virtuoso, good card. Very good card <laughs> in that deck. Yeah. Um, let's talk about a, a deck that actually got so much better with Dominaria United, and that's the six-color Enigmatic Fires of Invention <laughs> deck. Uh, Leyline Binding does so much for this deck. I've already talked about Agent of Treachery and Dragon Lord of Tarka, but it also, they also sideboarded into Titan of Industry. So, uh, mm. because Leyline Binding is a six-mana enchantment that they can play on turn two or three of the game, you can play Enigmatic Incarnation on turn four, and then sacrifice the Leyline Binding into a huge card that will definitely win you the game. Uh, and not to mention that Agent of Treachery, Dragonlord of Tarka, and Titan of Industry all have Enter the Battlefield triggers, and that deck play- also plays Yorian. So the turn after that, you can add Yorian back, and then play your land drop, it's, assuming you had Fires of, Fires of Invention out, and then cast Yorian, and then blink everything, and you win the game. Uh, they also had two copies of Siege Rhino, so this is the Siege Rhino deck in the top eight, so you best believe I'm rooting for it. I love five color decks, so that this yeah. is definitely a deck that I would play, and uh, yeah. it just did so so well uh, in this tournament, and ended up losing to Heroic, withdrawing a little bit of a clunky hand, and Heroic just killed mm-hmm. them in top four. But um, what do you feel about Leyline Binding's impact on this deck? That's great. I I would lo- I want to see it happen in Pioneer. Um, it's just another useful tool, and it kind of like makes i don't know just gives it a nice uh solution to some stuff in the format and so i think because of its existence there might be other decks that get to pop up because it's kind of checking other decks and so decks need to perhaps um account for it and then that in change might bring another deck into the forefront which is you know we always want deck diversity um another opinion i have is like it's so weird. Like I've just watched you on streams play 
five color so much in the past that I see you like primarily more as like a five color, six color, four color player. But obviously, you like are jamming Rakdos a lot, and I'm yeah. like, like I'm the Rakdos guy. What are you doing in my territory, <laughs> man? But uh, you know, are you are you thinking about maybe purchasing the six color and, and giving it a whirl? I have the six color deck on Arena already. Uh, but I haven't I haven't experimented with it after it got Leyline Binding, so I'm super happy to be playing uh, to play this deck. It also played a Renegade Rallier. It played it it played um, the two mana enchantment that edicts your opponent, and then you can sacrifice the edict with Enigmatic Incarnation, and then go get Renegade Rallier from the deck. And then since and then Renegade Rallier enters the battlefield, it brings back the the edict, and then edicts oh them God. again. So yeah, so it, it's the deck just goes way over the top of a lot of different decks. Um, it might have a, a pretty bad blue white control matchup, or is it, or or a mono blue uh, spirit tempo deck uh, matchup would mm -hmm. be a bad heroic matchup. But other than that, if if it gets, if it gets paired against Rakdos all day, it will go undefeated. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. So like yeah, I, I, another deck that I think is fine to bring to RCQ. Obviously, it did well. So. Uh, that's what I want to uh, talk about about Pioneer. Uh, let us know in the YouTube comments or here uh, on whatever podcast you're, uh, platform you're listening on, whether it's Spotify, Apple, whatever it is. Let us know. Um, you can always find us on Twitter at Nuts and Bolts Pod. Um, and you can also find us on YouTube if you're listening to us on a podcast at the Nuts and Bolts Podcast on YouTube. Um, <laughs> anyways, let's go ahead and jump from Pioneer into Standard where a lot of tournaments have been happening since Dominator United, and one of those tournaments is my tournament. I run a tournament called Stream League, and this was the 12th one that we've done. And this one had 36 players, and this one had a top 8 that consisted of every single deck being a black mid-range deck. Literally every single one. Hell Let's yeah. explain the top 8 for you after Swiss. <laughs> was Lord Kaiju 5 and 0 with Esper midrange we have Golgari midrange at 4 and 1 Jund midrange Esper midrange Mono Black midrange Jund midrange Orzhov midrange and Rakdos midrange so <laughs> we had a bunch of decks we had a Rakdos midrange squeeze into top 8 on breakers and ended up winning the entire thing from 8th wow. place uh, and the 8th place Rakdos deck was just basically Mono Black but replaced two of the worst mono black cards in the deck, probably being Evolve Sleeper and Concealing Curtains, and maybe like a like Painted Adversary or Junji Midnight Sky. Like the, the cards that are just maybe the worst cards in your deck, uh, replaced those with the best red cards in the format, being uh, Blood Tithe Harvester and Fable the Mirror Breaker, as, as the only red cards in the deck, in the main deck. Sideboarded just a Braid and Voltage Surge. And that's it for the red cards in the whole deck. And oh. uh, this deck also play, like, plays four Invoke Despair, just like Mono Black. Cutdowns, Sorens, Liana the Veil. And one copy of Raven Man, which ended up being absolutely dominating in the finals. Uh, Raven Man ended up activating to discard opponent's cards like five times in the game. And made a bunch of flyers and ended up winning the game almost by itself. Uh, Raven Man was so, so, so good in the finals. And it was just a really good tournament to watch. Even though everything was mid-range in the top eight, they were all really good, uh, really good matches and really fun to watch. Um, 
the effect of Dominaria United, of course, gets a little bit, you know, convoluted by rotation happening at the same time. So, uh, of course, Dominaria is going to have a huge impact in the format since, you know, mm -hmm. there's a huge rotation happening. But for Liliana the Veils in the winning deck list, I mean, what do you have to say about this tournament and literally every single top eight deck being a black mid range? I mean, I black's my favorite mana like mana color. So, oh, I'm not complaining. You know. This is awesome for me. Oh yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. When black when black's doing well, uh, things are great. Usually, magic. I feel like that's probably maybe the trend that I've in the years of magic I've been playing when black's doing good is probably a good thing. Um, <clears throat> I think I'm curious to like maybe I'll, I'll I'll go watch the vod at some point, but um, you know. As a Rakdos player, especially in standard Rakdos, um, there definitely feels like there needs to be a little bit of string of luck and like top decks working in your favor and top decks not working in your opponent's favor. And I'm I'm curious to know, um, you know, how well it would perform if it stumbled, because um, like the appeal. Of, I've been seeing talks about the mono black deck list uh, in many places, and I'm. You know, consistency is like one of the best things you can do in Magic. So if all your mana lines up, like you should be powerful. Uh, and if it if the cards are powerful enough, what it sounds like the Rakdos player did not feel that was the case and, and made some switch ups. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm interested. But uh, um, congrats to that to that player and and you know probably had a, ran a, a tiny hot a tiny bit hot just to kind of make sure things came together seamlessly or, or nicely. Uh, the thing about you know, you you touched on, you know, if things run together well and things run smoothly and you you start to think, oh, well, I mean, you're just top decking. What could possibly happen if you're just top decking? But the thing about Blood Tithe Harvester and Fable the Mirror Breaker yeah, is like, yeah. if you're playing those two cards in your deck, you just run smoother. Like your, your deck smoother, is just yeah. so much better just because they're in it. Not only is Blood Tithe Harvester a three power blocker, three power attacker, uh, not only does it actually just minus minus to your opponent's creatures that kill them but it also just leaves the blood token behind where if you're mm -hmm. ever top decking you just get a redraw so like there's so many things that this card does there's so many things that fable the mirror breaker does it helps you on your mana if they don't immediately kill the two two so if you're missing your fourth land drop you yeah. can uh, hit your four drop anyway uh it, yes. you can filter your cards in your hand to draw your lands and recap and replay your lands so, like the, the the percentage of the time that you actually stumble in with playing these cards in your deck is like pretty low. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now I'm seeing it. I mean, like after you said that, and I, I honestly like just you know if at some point we could talk in one of the episodes about Blood Tithe Harvester's effect, I think it's probably one of the most important Rakdos cards that be that have been printed in the past you know year or two. I'm not quite sure. Like when it came out in 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 the Inishrod set, like once its impact has been pretty huge because I think that alone has definitely made Rakdos more viable because it's it's those those turns like like I mentioned before one through four that are very crucial and it's like it does depend on your turns one and two and two and three depending how things line up that if you can actually get stuff going and so I think two is usually the sweet spot which is where Blood Tithe Harvester fills in because if there was no Blood Tithe Harvester. Yes, I believe that Fable the Mirror Breaker is a very strong card, but that's, you know, by that point you're at turn three, you made a 2-2, two -two, and hopefully your opponent, you know, hopefully your opponent hasn't, like, interacted with you or has done something more powerful, and I really think the, 
blood tithe harvester is really what sets up Rakdos to be pretty powerful in, in the many places it's able to uh, present itself. So. Yeah, and we can see the impact with Dominar United on the standard with that deck winning the entire thing, playing four copies of Liliana the Veil. It just puts a lot of pressure on your opponent. Shield of the Apocalypse yeah. was played as a one-of, and I'm more and more impressed the more and more I play with Shieldred. It's, oh, just, yeah. it's just really difficult to remove. And it's all like you're you have to invest a card into Shieldred that you, you've already got burned the two from it, or they've already gotten massive, massive value from it. It really restrains your ability to draw for outs. A lot of the times at the end of the game, when you're at like six, five, four life, you want to draw into your outs to kill a Shieldred. And you just can't do that against Shieldred. There's a lot of times where you have a Reckoner Bankbuster on the board, a um, of some blood tokens on the board to filter your draws into drawing something new to try to deal with the board and to try maybe try to draw into a Meat Hook Massacre. Maybe you play it on the same turn as a Fable of the Mirror Breaker is going to go into its second chapter, so it makes your opponent not want to draw the cards, and if they do, they take four life, or two or four life to do that. Um, it it becomes a card that you immediately have to kill, and you can't actually draw into answers to kill it, so you probably just lose. Yeah, it's interesting. That's a very interesting thing, and it's maybe like a thing where you also, depending if there's instant speed, like card draw filtering or whatever, it's like you definitely, in response to uh, Shieldred on the stack, you need to like draw whatever you want to do. Like that's probably going to exactly. be like a familiar play pattern going forward once people recognize like oh shielders on stack whatever card draws i need to do i need to do that now yeah <laughs> uh also there uh the presence of four copies of invoke despair being in a lot of these black based midrange decks means that if you have any other creature on the board with shieldred and your opponent has invoke despair they might not want to cast it depending on how much life they have because they're going to draw some cards and then they're going to burn themselves yeah that's true too. So, yeah, it's really it's it's just really powerful. Um, sure. and I and I can see that being one of the main reasons why these decks are doing as well as they're doing. Let's talk about the deck that went undefeated though in this tournament. Uh, it didn't win the entire thing like that Rakdos did, but mm. it's an Esper midrange deck that is more of an Esper legendaries deck. And I actually played this one on stream and have a YouTube video of it on my personal YouTube channel. But this has every single card in this deck is legendary besides Brutal Cathar. Uh, there's two Wandering Emperors, two Kaido Shizukis, four Thalia, Guardian of Thraben, three Adeline Resplendent Cathar, three Jadar, Ghoul Collar of Nephalia, the one that makes uh, two two zombies. Mm -hmm. There's one Kodos, the Silent Spider, the one that exiles things from graveyards and removes all of them from mm -hmm. your opponent's deck. Um, there is four Shieldred. Four Shieldred, let me repeat, four Shieldred mm -hmm. in the deck. Uh, two Urtai Resurrected, which is the new card from Dominaria. Mm -hmm. United as well, the, the one that's kind of like a, uh, what is that card? I mean, it's just like a four-mana counterspell creature, like the snake, Mystic Snake. Mm -hmm. uh, it's kind of like that, where you can counter a spell, and they and they and your opponent draws a card, or you can destroy a creature or planeswalker, and your opponent draws a card. That pairs very well with Shieldred. You can play Shieldred on turn four, and then on turn five you pass turn, counter the spell, or destroy their thing with Urtai, make them draw a card, they lose two more life. Which is a, a cool thing that I did as well. Um, really, really good card. Um, and three there, there's three Elas Ilkor Sadistic Pilgrim, which is in two mana Orzov two two. Every time a creature enters a battlefield under your control, you gain a life. Every time a, mm -hmm. one of your creatures, one of your other creatures dies, your opponent loses a life. Pairs very well with cards like Adeline and and Wandering Emperor that make additional creatures. 
Uh, so, mm-hmm. so you can gain a bunch of life. And it also pairs very well with the Meat Hook Massacre. And if you Meat Hook Massacre your own board with LS Ilkor on the board, they take double the life. Which is really cool. Um, also, it plays four Rafine, four Blue Cathar, one Raven Man, and one Meat Hook Massacre. And Meat Hook Massacre is also legendary, so it works well with this deck. And the reason why this deck works so well is that there's four copies of Plaza of Heroes. It's a new card that just came out in the new set. And it says yeah. it, t- it taps for colorless mana. And then it also taps for any color of mana if you're casting a legendary spell. Uh, it also taps for any color of mana among legendary creatures you control. So it almost always taps for whatever color of mana you want, as long as you're casting a legendary or have a legendary on board. Um, it also has an effect. Just when you thought that this land wasn't good enough, you can pay three mana and tap it at instant speed to give any of your legendary creatures hexproof and indestructible till end of turn. That's disgusting. I just realized the implications of this card. Yeah, in this that deck that you're talking about, the legend, I was like, why are they playing all legendaries? And this is what this is what does it. And yeah, that's disgusting. Like everything. It's a weird. It's one of those weird Esper decks that like everything works together really well, even though it's just like it seems like just a pile of cards from all these different sets. And it just and then, shouldn't like, work well. Yeah, and but they do. <laughs> like it's there's just enough cohesion between the cards weirdly that it all works. And then I think Plaza of Heroes is really what's tying it together because like I think this deck could function without Plaza of Heroes, but I don't know how how seamless or how. Um, yeah, I guess seamless is the word I'm looking for. Like, yeah, it can it can function, but like Plaza of Heroes like upticks the power and of this deck just because it makes running this deck super seamless with all the because even the the mana restrictions that you have for all these these colors and you know there's double mana costs within the is that in the is yeah, the emperor's double there's, mana uh, cost? yeah there is Rafine that's super mana intensive there's shield yeah. that's double black there's um, let's see, there's Adeline that's double white, there's Wandering Emperor that's double white, there's Meat Hook Master that's double black, like, this mana, this mana base is super intensive, but, yeah, but yeah. It, you know, it, it would seem like it, it's difficult to cast your spells, right, until you see actually how broken pa- Plaza of Heroes is. Yes, yeah, like, oh, if by you, the way, if it you, comes in untapped. Yeah, I saw that too, like, if you, <laughs> if you have a Rafine, if you have a Rafine and you have a Plaza of Heroes, you're just happy, like, your deck functions, like, it's just... That's wild to think of. It's like you're kind of rewarded for playing the Rafine because it has all the Esper colors, and now you can tap for any Esper thing that you want via Plaza of Heroes because Rafine exists on on the battlefield. That's, Plus, there's a lot of there's a wild. lot of um, uh, synergies with this deck that you wouldn't that doesn't really meet the eye. When you have Shieldred on board and you have a couple creatures and you play, and, and maybe you have an Adeline or whatever, yeah. but you play a Rafine. And you get the connive trigger with like three or four attackers, you gain like eight life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I was thinking about that. Like, you gain eight that that much life. Like the 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 weird aristocrat type or the weird like life drain gain things that are going on in this deck. That's the one part I was thinking. Like, why I said this deck like seems like it shouldn't work together, but because there's so much life gain and drain just randomly happening through the deck, almost everywhere in the deck, that it works really well together. Yep. Um, uh, I was playing this on stream and on YouTube, and I sided, I sideboarded into both other Urti Resurrected, the Counterspell, and three Obscura Interceptors, 
which is mm -hmm. also the the four mana Esper like bounce spell. It's kind of like it's kind of like a uh, divide by zero. Yeah. Um, it it connives, and then when it connives, it can it can target a spell and return it to the hand. I countered four invoke despairs in a row from my opponent. Oh my they just kept God. casting them, and I just kept countering them over and over I, and I, over I, and over, and then they died. I love Rakdos, but I think if I had to play like a standard thing and have fun, like even at a tournament, like I might just like buy this deck because like I if Esper's on and popping, like yeah. just get Esper because like that's so rare nowadays. Like for Esper to like kind of be on and popping. You want to see something else for this deck that is very interesting? There's something else it's that we a... have. There's a lot to talk about about this deck. There sure. is two Iganjos, Seed of the Empire, two Odawara sure. Soaring Cities, and two Takanuma Abandoned Myers. And you know why? They're almost always one mana in this deck, the channel. Yeah. Oh my. Oh my <laughs> God. That's what? <laughs> that is not okay. Yeah. And then you can. Yeah, you're always gonna hit with the uh, with the black one. You're always gonna hit something and and bring put that into and your you're hand. So, you're so many legendary creatures; it, it makes it yeah. cost less. Yeah, exactly. Your one mana brings something back to your hand with from the graveyard, which is wild. You know, and then, can, yeah, the other you know you can also do that's wild. What's up? Uh, if you have Urtai resurrected on the board because you already countered their spell, and your opponent counters the next spell, and you have Odawara in your hand. Since Odawara is usually always one or two mana, you can bounce your own Earthside back to your hand and then counter the spell again. Yeah, I would play this deck. <laughs> if I had to, if I had to jam a paper tournament, I would in standard. I would just rip this thing like so fucking fast. There are so many synergies in this deck, and uh, there there's so many synergies. Um, anyways, I can talk about this deck forever. Let's talk about one other deck in this tournament, and then we'll move to the 700 player Japanese tournament that happened over the weekend. We're going to yeah. talk about for a little bit, and then we'll be done. We're about done. But let's talk about a deck that actually got second place in the tournament. Um, it is a fight rigging deck. And let me see if I can find it here. <clears throat> we have, it's a Golgari mid-range ramp deck with Workshop Warchief, Titan of Industry, Two Shieldreds, Defiler of Vigor, Gloom Shrieker, uh, Topiary Stomper, and one copy of the new card, Namada Primeval Warden, which is kind of like a Kalidus. Uh, the new Golgari Kalidus that uh, if a card, if a creature would be uh, put into a graveyard, your opponent controls exile instead and make a 1-1, one, one, and then you can use those 1-1s one, for your advantage. You can pay mana and sacrifice them, and it gains an additional effect. Um, we have two copies of Dig Up, three Storm the Festivals, one Bouncer's Beatdown, a cut, one Cutdown, two Infernal Grasp, a Reckoner Bank Buster, one Cruelty of Gix, and three uh, Meathook Massacres. I believe, wait, is this the fight? I thought this was a fight rigging deck, but this is not fight rigging. This one mm -hmm. actually um, is a, there's two Golgari decks actually that made it into the top, but this one made it into top cut, which is really good. Uh, the one that got second place, I believe, is, let me see if I can find it here. Um, I don't have, it should be here. Yes, it is. It's a Jund mid-range deck, and that one's playing fight rigging. Four Fight Rigging, four Cruelty of Gix, one Meathook Massacre, four Storm the Festival, four Shakedown Heavy, four Titan of Industry, two Soul of Wind Grace, three Shieldred, four Blood Tide Harvester, and four Fable of Mirror Breakers. Uh, the deck was doing such good things with having, with casting Storm the Festival, and then off the Storm the Festival, they got a, they got a Fight Rigging and a Shakedown Heavy. 
and then they entered combat, put the counter on the shakedown heavy, and then the oh, yeah. and then the off the storm of the festival when they got the fight rigging, the fight rigging with the hideaway trigger revealed another storm of the festival. Mm-hmm. So they got to storm of the festival again. Yeah, in the same turn. That, that's really good. <laughs> like I played against this deck. Um, this was before this new set dropped. Uh, like I was just like I'm just gonna fire up standard on. I don't know why. I just like on arena. I never touched the client, but I was like, man, why not? And then like this happened to me in like the second game I played. I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm done here. I'm out. <laughs> like, <laughs> this thing is. This thing, if it happens to you, you do not feel okay. You feel like you've been taken advantage of, and you just want out. So, taken advantage like, of. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one of the one of the things that I think from Dominaria United talking about this new set in standard and the impact on it is Cruelty of Gix is one hell of a card. Um, it just does too many things. Like Soul of Windgrace is amazing. Shieldred's amazing. So you definitely should when you when you fire up a standard tournament or go on arena. You should definitely be prepared to play against these cards and build your deck accordingly. Oh yeah. Uh, there is another card that is we haven't talked about yet in that's in most of these decks, and especially the green ones is Terra Sunder. It exiles an online permanent at instant speed by using the kicker cost, and it also just exiles an artifact or enchantment by paying one and a green at instant speed. So very, very good card. Record Bankbuster is everywhere. Um, Leyline Binding is a card that people are playing. Uh, there's just so many artifacts and enchantments. It, even even a card like Unlicensed Hearse that is in a lot of people's sideboards to play around Cruelty of Gix, you can ta- you can take with Terra Sunder. Uh, it's just a very versatile, very good card. Exile removal is amazing. Being able to exile your opponent's Tenacious Underdog is very valuable. So I think that card is very good and probably a reason why these uh, Jund and Golgari decks are making the top cut. Mm-hmm. All right, moving on to our last tournament here. It's the 700-player tournament in Japan. That's a lot of players. Jeez. 700 players. So the, the decks that did very well in this tournament, you know for a fact, are very, very good. Let me tell you the top eight here in Swiss. Jund Midrange, number one. Esper Midrange. Grixis Midrange. Esper Midrange. Mono Black Control. Esper Midrange. Esper Midrange. And Mono Black Aggro. All eight decks, once again, are black-based mid-range decks, besides, I guess, mono-black aggro, and this is just a mono-black mid-range deck that's uh, just called aggro for some reason, but it's definitely just a mid-range So, every single deck... I, I mean, can I find a deck, actually, that doesn't have black in it? Oh, let me actually just scroll down real quick. Uh, yeah, no, I... um, <laughs> Okay, Mike's I found kidding. the first one in this 700-player tournament. 16th place, Boros Ramp. Good. Uh, is the first deck that doesn't have black in it. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, I don't even know what to say. I'm kind of at a loss for words with all these black decks. I'm not complaining. I love it personally. Mm-hmm. But we see actually a decrease in mono black and Jund in the 700 player tournament and Grixis decks, and the increase and not Grixis and the increase in blue blue and black based mid range decks because blue spells mm-hmm. counter the huge black spells that are being played and green spells. So we see. Esper midrange, Grixis midrange, Esper midrange again, Esper midrange again, Esper midrange again. So five out of the top eight are Esper Grixis, which is showing you that in a very, very deep tournament with 700 players, are you playing blue mana in your deck? Yeah. I mean, I think how Japanese players play, um, you definitely want to pay attention to their tournaments because 
they jam, I think, more paper magic and they're, they grind harder than we do in some, in some aspects of the U.S. So, like, they get... I think I don't know where it is in Japan exactly, or what what like shops or what events they're holding, but they get a pretty good opportunity to operate or play in these big tournaments, and so they're they're usually experimenting with some cutting edge tech uh, as far as like really really trying to suss out the field and and uh, figure out where they can get these little edges via their deck. Um, so um, it, I'm not surprised by the things that they're they're doing as far as trying to. Um, put some blue in the in the deck to kind of maybe fight some of the um, bigger costed mana spell stuff that people are trying to do. So, um, I, I was feeling maybe a little bit down about like I don't know Wizards' decision about the next RCQ season, but I've heard some like leaning towards making the RC the the next RC standard. So like, um, but if what's happening is happening, then I might be a little bit more open to it. So that's my closing thoughts. Yeah. All right. Well. We'll see you in episode four. Of course, subscribe to the channel if you're listening to this on YouTube. And um, give us a shout. Give us a follow on a podcast, um, the podcast platform that you're listening to. Follow us on Twitter at Nuts and Bolts Pod. And we'll see you in the top eight.